This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have a broadcast from the BBC. It is an interview with Major C.E. Page, a Canadian officer who had recently been released from a German POW camp. It first aired this week in November 1943 and features Major Page telling about his experience both before his capture and during his incarceration. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast where you can find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash WW2radio. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. This is London calling in the North American service of the BBC. Tonight we have in the studio a Canadian major, one of the prisoners of war recently repatriated from Germany. Major C.E. Page of Calgary, Alberta, while serving with the Canadian tanks at Dieppe, was captured and taken to Auslag 7B. Before this BBC microphone, he will now tell you what life is like in prison camps in Germany and how his less fortunate colleagues he has left behind occupy their time. This is the BBC calling from London with a talk by a repatriated prisoner of war, Major Page. Hello, Canada. I am Charlie Page, and I come from Calgary, Alberta. And at Dieppe was with the Calgary Regiment. I was serving with the Canadian tanks there when we were captured. After being made prisoners, about 40 of the officers tried to help the wounded. We went around the beach and did what we could for the men who were there. We carried some up to collecting points where they could be picked up by the ambulance. And then we ourselves were taken off. First, they marched just about 12 miles back behind Dieppe, where we stayed that night. And at 6 o'clock the morning, they took us back five miles into a town. And there we were put into a church. About 3 that afternoon, they gave us a cup of soup. That was the first food we'd had since we'd been captured. Next, we were taken aboard a train. They had a couple of coaches for officers, but the men and the remainder of the officers were in boxcars. Then we went to an old French prisoners of war camp, where we stayed about five days, and the rations were very slim. Finally, we were taken on into Germany to Eichstätt, to Rothlag 7B. This was my second visit to Germany, as in the last war, I enlisted in the 56th Battalion on April 15th. I was just 19 then. My father happened to be in the 31st Canadian Battalion, and when I got into England, he came me into his unit. I went to France with them, 6th Brigade, 2nd Division. And I lifted them right up until after the armistice. My dad was captain and quartermaster of that unit. After the armistice, we went into Germany as far as Bonn. And we were there until January 19. Then we moved back into Namur in Belgium. And I got back into Calgary in June 19. We passed through Bonn and my way from Dieppe to the prison camp. But all I was able to recognize was the Bonn Bridge. 
fast war, it was Berlin or bust. But I didn't get that far. But, but I happened to pass through the outskirts of Berlin on my way to England. And from what I could see of it, Berlin had a bit of the busting this time. Our camp, off Flag 7B, at Eichstadt, was about 60 miles from Munich. It was in a very nice part of the country and resembled somewhat the foothills of Alberta, where I come from. It was a very nice climate and it got very hot in the summer. In fact, we used to run around in shorts and get a real suntan. During last winter, I don't think it was down below 10 degrees of frost, and there was very little snow. Our camp was a pre-war cavalry barracks. There were four big brick buildings of the permanent barracks, and they were, we had running water and electric lights. But the huts, which we call the Garden City, did not have water or electric lights. They used carbon lamps. Huts were very warm, but the ration of coal was very small. And for this coming winter, the ration of coal is cut down to 40% over last winter. So I think the boys are going to have a very cold winter. There's approximately 1,350 officers and 250 orderlies in our camp. The orderlies were for the officers, but the Germans used to take them out in fatigue a lot of the time. There were about 100 Canadian officers, Lion New Zealanders, Australians, but the majority of, in our camp were English and Scotch. We had 24 Americans with us for a short while, but when they started American camps, they took them away. I remember they left on the night of the King's birthday. And by the way, everyone turned out in the smartest clothes, and those who had SD, that service dress, put that on for the King's birthday. The pipe band turned out and played retreat, and we also gave three cheers for the King when we were on the check parade. Some of the Canadian officers with me were Brigadier W.W. W. Stockton of Toronto, Lieutenant Colonel R.R. R. Labatt of Hamilton, Lieutenant Colonel Frederick K. Jasperson of Windsor, Ontario, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Merritt, V.C. of Vancouver, Lieutenant Colonel D.E. Cato of Toronto, Major Marchant of the FMRs, Major D. Orm of the SSR of Weyburn, Saskatchewan, Captain James A. Turner of the Camerons of Winnipeg, Major Brian McCool of the Royals of Canada, uh, Toronto, and also Lieutenant Jack Taylor of Toronto, the famous Canadian rugby player. Captain Foote, the Canadian paddy, was with us for some time but he asked to be transferred to the men's camp, that's the Canadian men's camp, and he left us, and we heard afterwards that he arrived there and was doing a nice job. Our living quarters were very cramped. In some rooms, they had two and three deck beds. There were four officers in my room, but there were only 10 rooms like that in the camp. The average was about 32 to a room. We had a locker and a bed each, knife, fork, and spoon, a bowl, a cup, one blanket in summertime. If you're lucky, you got two in winter. And a towel. That is all the Germans issued. The Red Cross has supplied a lot of extra blankets and dishes. In the huts in the Garden City during the winter, frost often came inside the walls, which made it very damp. And our clothing got pretty dank after a while. We allowed cold showers back any time we wanted them, but hot showers was the only got every two weeks made a complaint about that, and they promised us 
three in a month. Instead of getting three, we got one in five weeks. The German rations were very poor. And because we were receiving Red Cross parcels, even these were cut down by a third. If it had not been for the Red Cross parcels, the men would have been in very poor condition. It is practically the Red Cross parcels that kept us alive. And now the men I left behind are in very good condition. The issue of Red Cross parcels figured out at first eight men to a parcel per week. But for the last year, there's one parcel per man a week. And oh boy, how we like them. The parcels are from the British Red Cross, Canadian, New Zealand, and Australian. Canadian biscuits, Canadian salmon, Canadian butter, and Canadian meat roll are particularly popular. And I wouldn't be letting out any secret to say that Canadian parcels were especially popular and that they were well-packed and the contents were well-chosen. By the way, cigarette parcels have been coming in very well and I know all the prisoners appreciate them very much. And I know all prisoners would want me to thank their friends and the organizations which send them on their behalf. Through these parcels, Canadian prisoners are now becoming tea drinkers. We make brews, as we call it, six or eight times a day. So when you're sending parcels, include tea, coffee, cocoa, and some sugar. We started off in the morning with tea at 7.30. After parade, which is about 9 o'clock, we make another brew. Then about 10.30 or 11, we make another one, and so on. About every two or three hours through the day. We use the famous Piso W heatless smoker. That is a stove made of tin cans and burns paper. They were originally called smokeless heaters, but for obvious reasons, we changed the name. Groups of six or eight officers will form a mess together and pool all their resources. Parcels are collected on Monday and Thursdays and put in a common store. But naturally, any group, in any group, if one man is short, he's always looked after by his friends and nobody suffers. If you send prisoners a miscellaneous parcel, try sending running shoes, shorts, sweatshorts, and a baseball cap. I suggest that because in the summer, the sun is very hot and we play a lot of softball. And a regular baseball cap shades your eyes. In fact, we were making our own hats there and a very queer looking they were too. The odd bathing suit trunks for sunbathing comes in handy. And a lot of the men were as brown as the same brown of my belt. One thing a prisoner wants more than anything else is mail from home. And the odd snapshot of the family sure bucks him up a lot. We played a lot of games in our camp. We had three quarter size soccer pitch, as English people call it, a softball diamond with 40 foot bases, a basketball field, field hockey pitch, two tennis courts, and four badminton courts. And the sports committee had quite a time figuring out schedules so that everybody who wanted to could play. But they made a very good job of it, and the fields were kept busy and the men happy. Canadian prisoners introduced softball in all the camps they were in in Germany, and it's now the most popular game in the camps. In ours, we started off with a league of 16. 
And by the end of the summer, we had two leagues of 12 teams each. During two months of the summer, the football pitch is allotted to cricketers. And from, from 10 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon, because it takes that long to play a game of cricket and have tea. But the English officers played softball too and were enthusiastic about it and played very well. Pro walks have just been introduced into our camp at the rate of 10 prisoners a day. Canadians do not participate in this because they do not feel they should have their turn until those who were captured at Dunkirk had a break. We had three parties, uh, theater parties, a brass band, pipe band, and three jazz bands. The theater groups, mostly on professional actors, put on little plays and shows every once in a while. They rented their costumes from the Germans in Munich. They put on The Case of the Frightened Lady, Post-Mortem, and a pantomime at Christmas time. We had a library and an education department, and there were over 70 different subjects which the men could take up and write exams for. This was made possible through the Red Cross. Personally, I did not tackle anything myself, but my roommate, a South African colonel by the name of Colonel Creek, was running three different classes, Afrikaans, French, and Dutch. He was also learning Portuguese himself. Other subjects, such as law and engineering, in fact, anything that a man wanted to study, he could. Since I've been back, people have always asked me how we got the news in camp. As you know, radio sets are not allowed. But we got the German papers every day, and our main source of news was from new prisoners, and they were running off their feet trying to give us news from home. From all this, you might think that we have a swell time, but you must remember that we're confined behind barbed wire and guarded by sentries with rifles. And in most cases, prisoners have no idea when they're going to be released. I was lucky in being passed for repatriation, and I expected to be, to be repatriated at any time. So it wasn't quite so bad for me, because my outlook was that I could be expected to be home before the war was over whereas the other fellows, they had no such hope. On the whole, I don't think we can complain very much, and speaking personally, since the Canadians have been captured, I have not seen any manhandling or prisoners. I'm feeling pretty good, in pretty good health now. The change in conditions is noticeable. I did not realize how out of trim one got in confined quarters through lack of exercise. It is nice being back in England, being free again, but how it feels, it is hard to express. But of course, I'm really not home yet, and until I get back to Calgary with my family, I really, I will not really believe that I am free again. Oh boy. You've been listening to Major C. Page of Calgary, Alberta.